Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, as Pastor Tim continues from our series from Genesis on the life of Jacob, we consider the impact of our decision on those around us, whether or not to forgive. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. Glad yet to meet you. My name is Tim. We're glad you're, uh, we're glad you're with us uh, to worship. And um, actually, before we, before we get in, just kind of to give you the space I'm coming from a little bit. Uh, so... This week has been uh, filled with some really great things. Um, We've had uh, a group of uh, students that were down at Hope College worshiping and our VBSs. That was incredible, Becky. Um, And it was also, for many of us, uh, it was also a really sad week. Uh, If if you haven't heard yet, um, I'm sorry I'm breaking the news this way or in this spot, but uh, we said goodbye to some really good friends of our church and good friends of me. uh, Bob and Carol Boot were involved in an accident last week uh, on Father's Day on Sunday afternoon on their motorcycle, and uh, they were taken home to heaven on Sunday. And so uh, this week with funeral services and meeting the family, it's just been, it's been one of those weeks. Um, uh, if you're thinking, who are Bob and Carol Boot? Uh, you, may, you may be doing the thing my wife did when I told her, and she went to social media, and uh, then she saw their faces, and you, and sh- you will know exactly who they were, um, Bob especially was often the guy at the door uh, greeting every week. Um, he was one of our elders, uh, and Carol would often be hanging out at the sound booth with, um, with a bunch of kids. And so this is a tremendous loss uh, for us as a community. And uh, I mean, just the, um, to see two hearses parked outside of our church on Friday is... Um, but I, I, I want to say I'm really proud of our church. Uh, I was really proud to be a part of this church on Friday, just to see... Um, those of you who uh, were here to kind of help help take care of all the things, right? Making ham buns and uh, making sure tables are set up and uh, just making sure the family felt at ease and comfortable in the midst of their grief. Uh, it, it means the world. Uh, just two, two things. Um, uh, first, uh, we, we will be planting, a, we were trying to think, how do you, like, how do you, when you lose a, a friend that's so central to the church, an elder of the church, um, so we're, we're planting a tree in the island. It'll be up at some point. Um, I, it won't greet us as warmly as Bob did, but it'll, it'll uh, maybe remind us periodically of how fragile life really is. And if our hope is just in this, uh, that's a pretty weak hope. Uh, but we believe that death does not get the last word. The tragedy of last Sunday will not get the last word. Um, that's, the, that's the heart of the gospel, right? Like that resurrection ultimately uh, wins. Uh, so that's the, that's the first thing. Second thing, uh, grief, as, as many of you unfortunately know very firsthand, grief is a very lonely process. And uh, Bob and Carol had uh, one daughter, um, and uh, her, uh, her name is Renee, and her husband, Jeremiah, they've got three little boys. They're part of our church as well. Um, and uh, uh, and it can, even if you've got a community around you, grief is just a lonely journey. And so um, I have a, a card, and it's not going to be big enough for all of us to sign. Um, well, we can figure it out. Um, but if it's okay, uh, 
I'm just going to pass it around. I mean, we've never done this. There's no, like, there's, uh, and probably don't have uh, space in the card for, like, messages. Um, but uh, if you have messages that you want to write and want to write another card, um, I don't know, maybe grab the welcome card in the seat back and write a message. We'll get them to them. But, uh, but I'm going to pass this around. Just your name. I, I think just to know that there is a community, whether you know them or not or have met them or not, there is a community that is praying for you and loves you. Uh, I, I think that um, it might remind all of us that we're not ultimately alone. But I'm going to give it to you, Becky. Uh, we'll just pass it around. We'll see if it makes its way over here at some point. Bob, when you get it, you can just do this, and I'll know. Okay. Um, uh, but with that, actually, let me let me say let me say another word of prayer. We've got a. Uh, as I was kind of working through this series a while ago, this is a pretty big week in our message series that we've been talking about pain and forgiveness, and so um, we're going to do a sermon. Um, uh, but uh, let's just take a moment of pause and thank God for uh, Bob and Carol. Uh, Lord, we uh, to quote to quote the Apostle Paul: um, "When we grieve, we do not grieve as those who have no hope." Uh, and so, Lord, we we do grieve uh, for some of us, Lord. It's a grief simply because loss is always hard, and for others, it's a grief because we said goodbye to friends. And uh, Lord, um, but as a church, we grieve, and we are reminded, and we cling to the promise that um, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, and Jesus, would you bring comfort? Uh, Your Holy Spirit, you've told us, is a gift and a comforter, and so uh, Jesus, we welcome your Spirit into our lives to comfort us. Uh, but uh, Lord, would you remind us that when we grieve, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Um, we do cling to the hope that, uh, that ultimately death does not get the last word. And so Jesus, thank you. And uh, thank you for not just giving those as words to believe, but Lord, modeling that in your own life, death and resurrection. Uh, and so Jesus, we pray this in your name. And once again, everybody said... Amen. Uh, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Genesis 27. If you're, if you're new with us, by the way, it's not super typical that I walk up in the middle of a song set. My brain is all over the place. Uh, I'm sorry. I really do feel bad for the band. Uh, I apologize. That just throws the whole thing off, right? If you worked hard on something and then all of a sudden, I'm sorry. Um, but if you are joining us, we've been in the middle of a discussion that uh, has a little bit of weight to it. Uh, it's, uh, uh, we've been talking about pain and forgiveness and uh, just working through the process of how do you move from a space where you've been hurt and wounded to a spot where uh, you can give forgiveness or receive forgiveness. Um, And we've been following the story of this Old Testament hero named Jacob. He's been our guide through this whole thing. And uh, as I was putting the story together, I thought maybe the most helpful spot to begin would be a story. So uh, let me tell you a story. Uh, This story is a story that now is like 30 years old. Um, uh, it's when I was like 10 years old. Uh, and um, as a kid, I, uh, I grew up in the country. So um, I'm now in the heart of suburbia and I'm, I'm adjusting to how, like how do kids play in suburbia? They jump over fences and, and do things. But, uh, but as a kid, I used to, I lived outside. Like that was my, my childhood memories. 90% of them take place outside running through the woods, looking for hidden lakes, you know, some drainage pond of some sort that we thought was like this hidden lake, uh, building forts, like all the things that, um, that kids do when they grow up in the country. Uh, we actually had a game that we called the Let's Be Naughty game. 
That's a different story. Uh, but like as kids, you, you, make up these, uh, you make up these games. And um, I don't know what kids are. I don't know if kids are still doing the outdoor thing as much. Like video games and screens. And you know, kids are called to duty now. But, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, as a kid, um, when I was 10, uh, all these memories, I have a vivid memory of uh, one day we, uh, we saw this uh, cocoon. Actually, I was told later that it wasn't a cocoon. It was a chrysalis. But as a kid, we called them cocoons. So that's what I'm going to call it. Uh, um, and, uh, and it was kind of like up in this tree, and it was kind of moving a little bit. And, uh, and so we ran, and we found one of the, the neighbor parents and asked, what is this thing in the tree that's moving? And they kind of explained it's a cocoon. They were wrong. It's a chrysalis, but whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, and so uh, we watched this thing, and they had explained to us that um, what will happen is uh, eventually this, this thing will, uh, from, from this cocoon, will emerge a butterfly. And, and so if you just are patient, a butterfly is going to happen, uh, going to come out. Um, and apparently what's going to happen is it's going to break like a little hole and then slowly it's going to work its way out. And so we were, we were waiting for this. Um, but like any 10-year-old, uh, this is true for all generations, patience isn't easy for a little kid. And so uh, I... Um, I have this memory of me, my brother, and my neighbor. His name was Josh. And um, we had seen this, this cocoon shaking, and we thought, you know, we need to help out this butterfly, right? Like, we got to help this thing. Um, and, it, like, with the precision of a surgeon, we began taking sticks and trying to help pry this thing open without hurting the butterfly. Uh, and we pried, like, did our best to pry open this um, this this caterpillar turning into a butterfly to, set, to set, set him free, expecting that once we got the thing opened, out would come this majestic, like, monarch, orange, black butterfly. Um, but that didn't happen. Uh, what we discovered was, uh, as we pried it open, it was just this, like, limp. It was living, but it was like this limp thing. Uh, and I didn't know this at the time, but apparently... Uh, the process of going through the cocoon is, or the chrysalis is really vital to the survival of a butterfly to actually, um, the, the process of the struggle of breaking free, of going through that little hole and squeezing out the fluids of the wings. Uh, actually, without that whole process, uh, a butterfly, um, there's too much fluid in its body and it will not, it will not fly. Um, you actually, by shorting the, the struggle, by cutting that process too short, by finding a shortcut, by some kids with sticks trying to pry it open, uh, you actually uh, create this thing that's a little bit too heavy to fly, too much stuff on it yet. But if you actually allow it to work out as God had wired it, uh, then eventually this butterfly, through the midst of a long struggle, will kind of push its way out and will take flight. Now, the reason I tell you that story to kind of start this particular story turn in our story is we are in the middle of a discussion on pain and forgiveness, and we, this is week three, and we've been talking about uh, this, this whole process of when we've been wounded, what do we do with this, um, and it's been a little bit heavy stuff, especially for those of us who recognize immediately, oh yeah, there's something in me that I uh, haven't dealt with, somebody that I've hurt that I need to say I'm sorry to, or somebody that has hurt me, and I've just been carrying this stuff, and it's kind of building up ahead of resentment and it's coming out in other places and uh and so uh we've been we've been working our way through this whole particular story and i i hope that 
um, you're finding it slow enough to do. By the way, if you're still at like step one, that's okay. Like uh, they don't always work. Okay, now we did step one. Next week we'll do step two. Then we'll do step three. It uh, doesn't always work that easily. Um, sometimes step one takes months and years to kind of deal with. Uh, but if you've been with us, I hope you're finding that it's somewhat liberating to work through all this. Um, uh, but really, the question we've been trying to seek an answer to is how do we move beyond the moments, those moments that just destroyed us or the moments where we felt like we just destroyed them or the relationship? How do we move beyond that? How do we move from victims of something that happened to what Christ calls or the Apostle Paul calls more than conquerors in Christ Jesus? How do we get to that spot? And I begin with the cocoon story, or the chrysalis story. I begin with that story because in order for the butterfly to become a butterfly, to, to, to have this chance, like, transformation happen within the life of the butterfly, it has to go through the struggle. We know this, right? Like, we understand this. We see this in nature all the time. Uh, in order for the butterfly to take flight, it actually has to go through what appears to be a, a, a painful process, at least to a 10-year-old kid. Without the struggle, there's no flight. Without the struggle, there is no freedom. But if you have a struggle uh, and the, you, the, the butterfly does the struggle you, and there's like a little bit of light and kind of makes its way through the light, what they begin to and squeeze their body through, um, only then can uh, it fly. If you try to force it, if you try to shortcut it, if you avoid the struggle, um, you can miss it. Obvious metaphor here. Uh, healing often comes through the, the midst of a struggle. If we're slow and we are deliberate, and we squeeze more and more of our souls. We allow God to, to you know, he'll be, he'll be good, he'll be careful, but we actually allow God to help us confront it. Uh, we can squeeze more and more of our souls through. Um, there's a process that I love how the author Eugene Peterson, in his uh, now famous book, um, he refers to the process of discipleship as a long obedience in the same direction. Isn't that a good definition? A long obedience, trusting God, uh, always trying to move toward this, trying to follow him in the same direction. Uh, so to recap, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the wound, uh, the pain, and I challenged us to take one step. That step, simply acknowledge that the pain is real. It happened. Just acknowledge it. Uh, so much of our life is lived in denial. Just simply acknowledge it happened. Whether it's something you did or something that happened to you, acknowledge it happened. Then last week, we looked at the second step, um, which is simply... Uh, acknowledging that forgiveness is better. Forgiveness is a better way to, it's vital to the healing process. Uh, this morning, a third small step, one more small step. Um, I wanna explore the idea of forgetting. Because often tied to this, this idea of forgiveness is often this, this phrase we say, you know, we're just supposed to forgive and forget. Like that's the, that's the path. We forgive it and then we forget it. I wanna, I wanna explore that idea. Is it, is that, is that good? Is it even possible to forgive and forget? Is it healthy? Is it what God wants for us is, is to forgive and forget? Should we forgive and forget? So if you have a Bible, please turn with me once again to Genesis 27. Uh, we, um, again, are in the story of Jacob and Esau. Uh, we are processing their path of forgiveness and reconciliation. Last week, we left the story with this moment right after Jacob has betrayed his twin brother. They're supposed to be built-in best friends. That's what my wife calls her twin. Um, but instead, uh, there is this betrayal. Jacob's name, uh, Jacob, means 
the deceiver or the heel grabber. And he betrays his brother, robs him of both his uh, inheritance, like money, stuff, and his blessing. Uh, this blessing that's been passed down from Grandpa Abraham all the way down, uh, that you will have land and children and influence. Jacob's taken both of them. And we left the story last week with Esau coming to his dad and saying, is there anything left for me, dad? Is there anything left for me? And dad kind of saying, hey, listen, this is, um, if you don't deal with what is here right now, that uh, is going to grow. Esau, is, we read this line in the, in the text that he held a grudge. He held a grudge. He was bent on revenge. He actually says, I'm gonna kill him. And, uh, and Jacob's, or Isaac, grandpa, our dad, dad to, to Esau, says to his son, who's been betrayed, he's been heartbroken, but he says to his son this powerful image. He says, you will, you will find yourself living away from the richness of the earth and the dew from heaven. You're gonna find yourself, all of life itself is gonna feel muted, the good things in life. You're not gonna be able to see them. And you're gonna even feel like God is distant from you. But when you grow restless, that's the line, restless, when you're tired, you will take his yoke from off of your neck. Uh, Yoke is a farming instrument. Uh, Essentially, he says, you're dragging this pain around everywhere you go. Uh, He talks about forgiveness and he doesn't say that forgiveness is necessarily how we often think of it is, will I forgive them? Do they deserve my forgiveness? He doesn't talk about forgiveness in those terms alone. He talks about forgiveness and says, Forgiveness at some fundamental level is saying, I refuse to allow you to rent space in my heart. Um, that old uh, uh, recovery slogan that uh, to forgive or to, to hold a grudge or to seek revenge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It just poisons you. So last week we talked about forgiveness and will they get there? Um, uh, we're gonna pick up the story where we left off. Uh, Verse 41 of 27. Uh, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother. So Esau ignores his father's warning and he he says, no, this is, no. What he did was so wrong. I'll take matters into my own hands. Thank you very much, God. Uh, And let's pick up the story there. Uh, Verse 42, should we forgive and forget? When Rebecca was told that what her her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban and Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word to you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Pause there. Uh, So Rebecca's advice to her son is, uh, son, Jacob, Esau is really mad at you. Really, really mad at you. And here's what I need you to do. I need you to run away, give it some time, and he'll forget about it. Give it enough time, it'll go away. He'll forget about it. Uh, uh, Rebecca's advice, mom's advice is essentially uh, bury it, run away, because as we all know, we've all said, time heals all wounds. Distance makes the heart grow fonder. 
Okay, so that's the advice. Uh, at some a certain level, it's really, well, could we agree? It's kind of bad advice. It's kind of bad advice. It is common advice. It's the kind of advice we find ourselves, if not verbally giving to someone, it's the kind of advice we assume. Like, you know, I'm just gonna ignore this. It was awkward. It was uncomfortable. It was hurtful. I'm gonna ignore it. And they'll forget it. They'll, it'll like, eventually it'll be fine again. Uh, we kind of know maybe we should confront it, but we don't. Uh, and so we run. Either metaphorically we run, just like, you know, like we kind of distance ourselves emotionally, or we actually physically run. We distance ourselves physically from them, uh, hoping that eventually it'll be fine. Jacob does the same thing. He physically runs. Jacob runs. Uh, he takes his mom's advice and he, he cooks. Um, now, by the end of uh, chapter 27, because no one is willing to confront the pain head on, uh, it's destroying, and this is critical to the story, it's destroying everyone. Jacob is on the run for his life. He's, he's afraid that, okay, if I go home, my brother's gonna kill me. Esau is consumed with vengeance. He wants, he, I have to kill him. Uh, Isaac, dad, dad, the last we read about Isaac is he's, he's uh, losing his eyesight. He's been betrayed and now he's violently shaking. That's the word, he's violently shaking. Uh, we now have an old man who may go to his deathbed without ever seeing his son who's now split. And Rebecca, well, notice what uh, Rebecca, what the pastor says about her. Next words, um, verse 46. Then Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among these women of this land, from the Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. So Esau's holding a grudge. Jacob's running for his life. Isaac, dad, is worried that he's going to die an old, lonely man. And we now read that Rebecca is paranoid. If my son leaves, Jacob leaves, he's going to marry somebody that's not part of our, our group. And, uh, and I'm disgusted with living. That's the language, disgusted with living. Because that's what kind of happens, isn't it? Um, some of us have experienced this very closely. Um, we think that if... Uh, that, that the thing we did is just between me and, and them. It's just, it's just our thing. Like, they hurt me, it's just our thing. Um, but what we don't recognize is that often that action that was just to you uh, has ramifications. It has ripples. It, it tends to affect other people. It tends to affect lots of people. Um, there's a line in a book that I enjoy uh, called The Fault in Our Stars. I know. It's a good movie, too. Um, it's, uh, the line says this in that book. Uh, it says, it just never ends. It feels like we were all wounded in your battle. It never ends. It feels like we were all wounded in your battle. Yes, that is a semi-serious point I'm trying to make, and I'm quoting a rom-com. But um, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not just them that we hurt. Often our actions have shrapnel, and people that we love and care about uh, they get caught up in our battles. Um, they get, uh, I've seen entire, and so have you, we've seen entire family systems fall apart because words were exchanged between two people and now those two people go lobbying for their people and then they lobby and now we've got two family systems and not one family. I've seen close friendships um, because of one exchange or one interaction or one thing um, totally fall apart. Uh, if we never confront it, 
if we run, that can happen. Um, so back to the question, should we forgive and forget? Shockingly, I'm going to say at times the answer is yes. I know. Um, now, I think forget's the wrong word. So when you say forgive and forget, I actually don't think forget's a good word because it's, we don't have control over what we remember and what we forget, right? We don't get to choose which memories we hold on to and which ones we don't hold on to all the time. So, uh, so I think a, maybe a better way to think about this is, is it possible to forgive, confront it, like actually like, okay, I, I forgive you, I confront it, and now I'm gonna move past it. Uh, I won't bring it back up every time we see each other. To, to, to forgive, confront, and then move beyond, to not bring it back up. Um, because bringing it back up often, sometimes, um, it, it can like fuel these seeds of resentment and bitterness. We've experienced these moments. We've, got, we've seen this in friend groups, right? We've, we've seen moments where, you ever met a couple who, uh, you, you sit down with them and you're, you're talking, and yet every time you're, you're hanging out, you, like he always brings up, that, right? And it's like usually something that happened in their first year of marriage, um, something embarrassing or something hurtful that was from their first year of marriage. They've, they've gone through the couple's counseling. They've said, I'm sorry, and I forgive you. I mean, and, and now it's like year five, year 10, year 15 in their marriage. And yet all the time um, when things aren't exactly great, uh, he brings up that. And now it's like they revert right back to year one, uh, you've seen this happen. I've seen this happen. Um, what they want is a deep relationship built on love and trust and forgiveness. And yet every time that gets brought back up, it's like they go right back. All because that he said he's sorry, he said he forgives, and yet he can't let it go. Um, or have you ever met a couple where um, when you hang out with them, they're constantly making jokes about each other, and often they're kind of funny jokes, and so we laugh at the jokes. They're kind of sarcastic, kind of dry humor. They're kind of funny, and yet they're at the expense of their spouse, and you're like, do I laugh at this joke? I mean, you know exactly this couple, um, and they bring up things, um, and, you know, like, so now she'll bring up, like, you know, he's always leaving his socks on the ground, and it's like, eh, yeah, uh, Right, and then, and then, uh, and then like, they, they're kind of funny, the way she phrases it, um, or she'll bring up the thing he did five years ago, and it, it, like, it gets brought up in a conversation, and it's like, okay, it's kind of funny. I, um, and then the whole time the story's being told, he just kind of rolls his eyes, oh, here we go again, or bringing up that thing again. You know this. Some of you are like, oh, he's, that's what we do. Okay, um, it's really important that some things, we forgive, we confront it, and then we, we actually move past it. Doesn't mean we forget it. Like, it doesn't mean it's not part of some, like our story. But there are things that it's like, it's, to bring that up again is just going to, to fuel resentment. And so what starts out as he leaves his socks on the floor, uh, if, if we just keep bringing it up, can turn into these seeds of, um, I don't think he respects me. I don't think he loves me. Like, if we got to deal with it. We got to deal with it. Um, but we are really good at keeping the mental list, keeping the scorecard. And by we, I mean me. I'm really good at this. And uh, it's really, 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 really important. We confront, we forgive, and we move on often. Um, in fact, uh, this is what Jesus does, isn't it? 
If you look at the life of Jesus, this is, this is what Jesus does. Jesus confronts. Uh, he, um, when, when the disciples mess up, he'll confront it. Uh, he'll forgive it. And then he never brings it back up. And some of the mess ups of the disciples are relatively significant. Right? Like, the, um, like that time where the disciples are walking down the road and they ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, should we call down fire on the Samaritans? Uh, or that time, like that time when uh, Peter messes up so bad that Jesus is like, you're kind of acting like Satan. It's a big deal. Or that time Andrew and, uh, his, and his brother Philip have their mommy ask Jesus if they can be his favorite of the disciples. Remember that moment? Or that time, uh, they, like all these kids are coming and the disciples are like, we don't have time for kids. Or that time when they all fell asleep in the moment Jesus says, please stay awake. Uh, this is going to be a hard night for me. Please stay awake on the night he's arrested. Or that time when he is arrested and they all run away and abandon him in the moment he needs them the most. Or that time right after that where Thomas Jesus appears to the disciples and Thomas still doubts and says, I need some proof. Or that time where Peter says, I'm going to get out of a boat and I'm going to walk on water. And he begins to sink. Like, you know, gravity. Um, like, or that time Peter pulls out a knife and cuts off a dude's ear. The, the list goes on and on and on. The disciples mess up a lot. Uh, the disciples mess up a lot. And yet Jesus, he deals with it. Read each, each of those stories. Jesus will confront it. He deals with it. And then Jesus never brings it up again. Never brings it up again. Unless there uh, is something that he could, like they're still not quite seeing it, in which case he'll bring it up again. But, but when it comes to the mess up that they're like, oh, we, yeah, we did that wrong. He just forgives it and lets it go. Um, there's some situations, especially minor ones, where it's really important that we acknowledge that the pain happened, we confront it, we deal with it, and then we forgive it and we move on. Um, in essence, I don't love the forgive and forget because we don't get to choose our memories, but in essence, we forget it. She doesn't need him bringing up that old mistake. It's not helping their marriage. Um, she, he doesn't need her rolling his eyes and telling those old stories that should be between the two of them. They don't need it. It's, it's not helping. Uh, to quote the, the theologian and poet Taylor Swift, um, the player's gonna play and the hater's gonna hate, but I'm just gonna shake, shake, shake it off. Sometimes we gotta shake it off, right? Okay, we good there? <laughs> Sometimes you gotta shake it off. Um, should we forgive and forget? Sometimes the answer is yes. We absolutely, uh, we absolutely have to move on. Other times... The answer is a resounding no. Other times, the answer is a resounding no. To forget could actually be quite dangerous. Um, Rebecca's advice to Jacob is dangerous advice. It is dangerous advice because no matter how hard we try to run away from it, if we pretend it's not there, we simply ignore it, it doesn't make it go away. Time does not heal all wounds. Distance does not make the heart, all hearts grow fonder. It just doesn't always happen like that. And of course, she's finding herself disgusted with living. She gave advice that postponed the process of healing. We're gonna, we're gonna get to this moment where they, re, they, they reconnect. But her advice is going to postpone that moment for years. For years. Uh, sometimes forgetting is dangerous. Um, 
I, uh, have, I've been trying to rediscover some books that uh, moved me back in, in some season of my life and just going back and reading old books. Have you ever done this? Um, uh, there's one book that I, I love. It's by an author named Brennan Manning. It's called The Ragamuffin Gospel. Um, I could not recommend a book more than this book. It's just a, a beautiful um, telling of the gospel. And, and he tells a story. It's a heavy story, but it actually, I think, helps get at this, um, this idea. But it's a story of this moment in his life where he uh, felt, he was, he was an alcoholic for years, and he felt trapped in this alcoholic uh, addiction and um, had checked into this rehabilitation center uh, in Minneapolis and was part of the group meetings, the AA meetings. Um, and he met this man by the name of Sean Murphy O'Connor, who was also a recovering alcoholic, who was leading the meeting. And Brendan Manning tells a story um, and describes on one particular day, uh, in the room walks this man uh, whose name was Max. He hadn't been there before. Max shows up, and Sean, who's leading the meeting, Sean Murphy O'Connor, who's leading the meeting, um, recognizes something in Max pretty quickly. He's got his guard up. And so uh, Sean Murphy, Sean, says to Max, um, hey, how long have you been drinking like a pig? I know it sounds really harsh, but I actually have learned from watching people in recovery talk to people who are um, yet to be in recovery, addicts. Uh, I've learned that there is a certain empathy that those really hard words can be spoken with, that uh, people who haven't gone through it don't get to speak, um, and, uh, and they can say the hard words because they get the struggle. So he says, how long have you been drinking like a pig, Max? Uh, to which Max says, that's not fair. That's not fair. Sean says, how, well, how would you describe it? How much booze do you drink in a day? And, uh, and Max thought, and he's like, well, you know, I have two Bloody Marys um, in the morning. Um, and then uh, we have a couple of martinis right at the end of the work day. And then maybe a drink or two with dinner. And, may, you know, like a nightcap, a couple before bed. So eight drinks a day. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? And he's like, yes, not a drop more, not a drop less. Sean Murphy O'Connor says, you're a liar. You're a liar. I know this struggle. Have you ever hid a bottle in your house? What, what, what? Have you ever hid a bottle in your garage, in your basement? Ever hid a bottle? Max, Max denied it. No, 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 no. Uh, any booze in the house? You've never hid a bottle. Uh, the interrogation goes on for 20 minutes. And uh, slowly it becomes clear that Max is drinking a lot more than he's letting on to drinking. And uh, Max gets defensive, and he begins quoting these Bible verses, you know, judge not lest ye be judged. And um, he who is without sin can cast the first stone and take the plank out of your eye. Uh, like all these Bible verses, we get really good um, at taking the Bible and the intention of the scriptures and twisting them to say whatever we want them to say, right? We're all pretty good at that. Uh, if we know the Bible, um, we, we can be pretty good at that. And yet, uh, Sean Murphy O'Connor is just getting sick of the excuses and the lies and realizes that if this man's going to get sober, he's got to confront this thing. Uh, and so he asks him a question, uh, and he says, he says to him, have you ever been unkind to one of your kids? Uh, knowing that at some point or another, um, this is the point of shame in most addicts because um, often there is disappointment or hurt that's been caused to a kid. And just because they're an addict doesn't mean that they don't love their kids. In fact, um, that, so that if you want the point of deepest pain, he knew, I got to talk about this. 
Max responds, I have a fantastic relationship with my two sons. I, uh, I took them on a fishing expedition recently, and one of them is going to be a doctor, and the other, he cuts him off, and he says, no, I didn't, no. Every parent at some point has messed up. I didn't ask you what the good ones were. I, every parent has messed up at some point or another. Can you give me one specific example? Long pause. Max says, There is a, a moment, um, I guess I was a little thoughtless with my daughter on Christmas Eve last year. How old is she? She's, she's nine. Um, what happened? I don't remember. I don't really remember. No, seriously, what happened? What happened? I don't remember. Uh, to which Sean realized, I think he's telling the truth. And he says, well, can we call your wife and can we ask her what happened? Yeah, um, so they ring the phone, and uh, the room, you know, this room in which Brendan Manning is part of, uh, they hear on the speakerphone this little frail voice kind of come up on the other end, uh, and this, this woman answers the phone, and um, Sean Murphy O'Connor says, Hey, ma'am, this is uh, my name's Sean. I am leading uh, your husband's recovery meeting, and we were just talking about your kids, and he told me a story. He said something happened last Christmas Eve, um, but he doesn't really remember the details. Do you, by chance, remember the details? And she says, after a little bit of a pause, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I remember the whole thing. Um, seems like it actually just happened. Uh, she said, uh, our daughter, nine-year-old little girl, Debbie, um, she really wanted this pair of earth shoes for Christmas, and we have this tradition where on Christmas Eve, they can go buy something, and if we know that we didn't give them it, like, we'll, we'll, we'll let them go buy a thing. And so um, she really wanted this $60 pair of earth shoes, and uh, Max said, I'll, I'll take her to get those, and so he takes her to the store, and he takes her out for ice cream, and I mean, like, this is a whole thing, and as they're climbing back in the pickup truck, she leans over, kisses Max, and says, Dad, Daddy, you're the greatest daddy in the whole world. And Max was feeling pretty good about himself. And so he decided, I need to celebrate. And so on his way home, he stops by this little pub three miles from the house called the Corkin Bottle. And he stops by the pub. Uh, it's cold. It's like 20 degrees outside, 20, above, above freezing, uh, or below freezing, 20 degrees and he uh, decides, okay, it's cold, so I'm going to leave the car running because it's cold outside. And, and so he goes in, and I uh, was just going to celebrate with some of the boys. And um, this is at 3 in the afternoon. And then the phone goes silent. And, uh, and then you hear this like, cry. And she says, yeah, my husband bumped into some old, old drinking buddies at the tavern, and one thing led to another. And... Um, he came out of the cork and bottle at midnight, and the motor had stopped running, and the car windows were frozen shut, and uh, they had to um, rush our daughter to the ER, and she will no longer be able to hear out of one ear because frostbite had taken her ear. She'll be deaf in one ear. Max, according to Brennan Manning, is sitting in the room as the story is being told. And he lets out this loud shriek. 
he falls off the chair and he falls into the fetal position. And he lets out the, uh, the ugly cry. You know, the ugly cry, the uh, I'm running out of breath, I can barely hold it together, um, snot running down your nose, the ugly, the ugly cry. And uh, apparently that moment was so painful to Max that he blocked it out of his mind. Gone. Maybe, maybe the alcohol helped with that in the moment. Block it out of his mind. Uh, and he ran away from it, and he actually forgot it. He refused to confront it. And because he refused to confront it, that addiction is just kind of getting worse and worse and worse and worse and couldn't figure out, like, why am I, like, why am I so drawn to this thing? Um, just drown out the sorrow with a little bit more, with a little bit more, with a little bit more. Um, Brennan Manning in his book has this really powerful line uh, as he recounts the story. He says he, he watched Max on the ground uh, in the fetal position sobbing, and he says this. He says, I realized in that moment this would become the first day of Max's recovery. Uh, Rebecca's advice to Jacob is really common. It's also often really, really dangerous. To run away from our pain, to forget it, to pretend it didn't happen, it doesn't just go away. And chapter 27 ends with Jacob running scared for his life, Esau bent on revenge, Isaac potentially going to die in a lonely old man, and Rebekah disgusted with living. It's rippled. This one moment has rippled into all of the moments. Running doesn't help. Uh, and if you keep reading the story, Jacob will end up repeating the mistakes, just like Max in the bar. Jacob will repeat his mistakes. He'll go to his uncle Laban, and he'll deceive his uncle Laban. Laban will kind of give it back to him. It's this whole moment. Uh, and then by the time you get to chapter 31, Jacob is running again for his life, this time not, not only from Esau, but now he's running from Laban as well. Uh, he's on the run again. He's still on the run. And the more you follow Jacob the more he lives into that identity that is attached to his name. He's a heel grabber. He's a deceiver. Um, he becomes more solidified in that. The danger of, of us not dealing with it is we may run the risk of repeating it. There are some things I, I would argue that we should never forget. Um, there's this great proverb in the, the middle of your Bible um, Proverbs 26, 11, it says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Some relationships are toxic. Some, uh, some things in general are toxic. If he hits you, if they are constantly trying to ruin your family, you uh, giving yourself some distance is not running away from your problems. It's being wise. Okay, let me be clear on that. Forgetting what happened may actually put your family at risk for it happening again. Uh, some things we gotta, we gotta remember. We have to remember it. But when it comes to the small things, the, 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 the socks on the floor kind of things, or the big things, the daughter in the car kind of things, we gotta confront it. Forgetting it does not make it go away. Um, and it won't be until Jacob stops that he actually can begin the process of healing. 
So uh, step one, we acknowledge the wound. Step two, we make the decision to forgive, to take the yoke off our neck. Step three, I suggest to you, is we take a serious look at the ripples and we stop running and we confront it. We confront it. Um, we don't want to pass those down. Uh, I wrote this message, put this whole series together months ago. Um, some of the stuff I've been thinking about for years. Um, and then the events of this last week happened. And uh, I, you know, I, I worked on the sermon again on Wednesday and then spent a lot of time on the funeral service for Friday. And I come back to the sermon and realized the urgency of it all. Uh, Jesus' brother James will say that this life is like a mist. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And that is easy for us to just numb out. But that is true, isn't it? It's fleeting. And uh, this life really is too short for us to hold on to the grudges. It really is too short to allow our lives to be defined by something, even someone, who wounded us. Is it hard work? Absolutely. It absolutely is hard work. Okay, I'm out of time. Uh, sure. Uh, next week, we'll uh, pick the story back up. Uh, we'll, there is a moment where Jacob is going to be forced to look himself in the mirror. It's different than our mirrors. Uh, he's going to be forced to deal with it and look at his identity. And he's going to be forced to ask the question, am I going to always be a deceiver? And it's when he has this moment uh, that Jacob will finally begin to have a heart change. Unfortunately, because of uh, maybe at least in part because of Rebecca's advice and because of his decision to run, it's going to take years. Um, but he will, there will be a moment where God's grace will stop him in his tracks and he will be forced to confront it. Uh, let me wrap us in a word of prayer. Uh, King Jesus, would you remind us that um, as far as the east is from the west, you remove our sins from us, Lord. You do not hold them against us. That we need to be reminded of the gospel truth, Lord, that you offer grace upon grace and forgiveness upon forgiveness. We need to be reminded that that really is the message of the cross and the empty tomb, that um, you're a God who uh, you give second chances and third chances and infinite chances. Uh, Lord, you're a God who doesn't even once bring those back up in our face. Um, Lord, would we model you to the world? Um, but Lord, would you also help us to be wise, to recognize where there are things in our life that we may simply even if we have Bible verses we quote, Lord, would we be reminded that there may be some things in our lives that we are just in need of confronting? Uh, Lord, I am very aware that uh, my words are not the ones who can bring comfort or they're not the ones that can bring conviction. Uh, you tell us that only the Holy Spirit does that. And so, uh, Lord, I pray that if, uh, for all of us who just desperately need comfort this morning, Holy Spirit, please comfort us. Um, but Lord, uh, if there is something in our life that we know is in there, um, would you convict us to change? 
Uh, Lord, would you remind us of those that love us? Um, Lord, would you remind us that some of, some of the people in our lives have loved us even as we've carried this? Um, and Lord, would that, um, the knowledge of that, with the knowledge of your gospel, give us the strength and the courage to do the work? Jesus, we love you. We pray this in your name. We hope that this week's message has brought you both some challenge and some blessing. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sunday mornings, you can find our service streamed live at 10 a.m. on our Facebook page. And so from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.